the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the podcast for the doubters, the believers, and everybody in between. We are indeed. Um, before we get into today's episode, which is a fascinating episode, um, we've had a bit of feedback on the episode we did the other week on the Coral Castle. Uh, oh, yes. I, I think we asked on the podcast if anybody had been there and uh, touched any of the stones, and somebody came back to us and said that they had. Oh, brilliant. Uh, it's from Helene Buntman. She said, it's fascinatingly odd energy worth visiting if you're in the area. She says, I've been once. The theory is that the guy worked at night and no one saw him doing it. What I remember most was the huge free-swinging rock door and his office filled with equipment. I'm pretty sensitive to energy and others than being amazed at what he'd created. I felt like a mix of love lost, loneliness and a lot of spirits in the area. Of course, the Coral Castle is a haven for a lot of spiritual seekers and junkies and they may have infused some of the energy in the place as well. Uh, She also goes on to say, love the work you two do, which is great. So uh, if you've not heard that Coral Castle episode, it's a fantastic story about one man who built this amazing stone castle with thousands of tons of stone on his own and there are varying reports of how he did it some with some spooky magnetic powers but yeah we asked if anybody had been there and uh, touched any of the stones and there we have someone who has so I'm thank you she mentioned that. the door as well because that was the thing that fascinated me most about that that was the door that um was being uh, balanced on a truck bearing and had to be replaced in the 90s yeah yeah well whatever you think of how the guy did it it's it's an incredible piece of engineering <laughs> which you know whether there was anything mystical about it or not incredible so uh thank you for sharing that somebody else also pointed out that it does uh the coral castle does feature in a billy idol video which uh, we might put a link to that on our social media oh, so i didn't know that. that no i didn't know that either so that's very interesting as well so, yes, we've got a lot to get through today, Ben, right? So uh, why don't you tell us about what the fascinating guest that we've got. We've not had a guest for a while, but we've got a fascinating guest today. Yes, today we have Gerard Williams. You might know his face from the History TV channel and his show Hunting Hitler, where he is a presenter and investigator. And his book, you may have read, Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler, and also his film by uh, the same name. He has has an amazing background working as a journalist for the BBC and for Sky pretty much 40 years as a, uh, what you would call a hard-nosed, doing-the-rounds proper journalist. And he discovered a whole load of evidence that Hitler actually spent 17 years after the war living in the foothills of the Andes in Argentina and then died in 1962. The book itself is astonishing. The film from the book is dramatised and is equally hard-hitting, I think, for everybody who was taught at school that Hitler died in the bunker in 1945 by shooting himself. And what I'm also intrigued about is... This is a mainstream journalist who is, well, he's bucking the trend uh, he, he, for for reporting on something that is kind of out there. So, um, yeah, I think let's just get him on. Brilliant. Let's bring him on. 
So we're now going to be joined by Gerard. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for giving up your time. This is the first time we've ever had a actual TV presenter on our show. So I'm very pleased for that. Ben and Peter, it's a pleasure. Um, it's very good of you to have me. So tell me, how did the book and the story come together for you? How did you make this discovery? Okay, well, the, the sort of shorter version of it is that my cameraman buddy of many years we traveled the world together bill and i had decided that we'd had enough of covering war zones and he'd just come out of afghanistan and i'd just come out of iraq and um we went for a beer as we always did and he said come on let's go back to making documentaries let's go back to long-form filmmaking and um i said okay where will we start because you know he'd been to something like 103 countries and at that stage i'd been to 80 and he said well why don't we just start with a and i said well i've never been to argentina and he said, no, neither have I. So um, sadly, Bill passed away not long afterwards. Um, he had cancer. And um, I went to Argentina and did a number of um, documentaries for Al Jazeera and some stuff for Channel 4 and various other people. And loved the country a lot. I mean, Argentina is a wonderful place. You can see why the Nazis liked it. And came across this story that Adolf Hitler had escaped to Argentina on a submarine in 1945. And when I'd stopped laughing, um, I thought, this I've, I've never done a conspiracy theory story. I've never done a silly documentary. You know, at that stage, I'd spent 30-something years in hard news, hard international news. You know, two, two Iraqs, um, Yugoslavia, uh, the Nelson Mandela elections, the fall of the Soviet Union, the, yeah, and the tsunami. It was the last big international news story I did for Sky News. And I thought, oh, yeah, let's just do a really silly story about a very ugly, evil man with a bad moustache going to Argentina and living his life out there. And uh, so I came back to Britain and I started to research it. And it just, none of the stuff I was looking at was anything like the story I'd been told, that Adolf Hitler had killed himself in a bunker in 1945. You know, the, the skull fragments the Russians say are his, actually that of a woman in her 40s, so it couldn't even be Ava Brown. There's detailed references from a pilot, Peter Baumgart, who flew them out of Berlin into Denmark. Um, you know, there's no forensic evidence at all of Hitler and Ava Brown's death, whereas we, you know, we get to see the bodies of Joseph and Magda Goebbels and their six children. Or well, it's not necessarily their six children, I'm learning lately. Um, there is hard evidence for their deaths. Um, there is no evidence for Hitler's death. And yet, across Argentina, nobody is shocked by this story. Oh, yeah, he was here. I mean, one of my um, good friends who was the makeup artist on Grey Wolf, Oscar Moulet, he's the only Argentine ever to be nominated for an Oscar for makeup. Oscar was shooting a, um, a commercial in Paraguay after um, he'd filmed Grey Wolf with me. And he was shooting for BMW, and the head of BMW Paraguay was a Paraguayan German of German descent. And he asked Oscar what he'd been working on. Oscar said, oh, "I worked on a film about um, Adolf Hitler in Argentina." And the guy said, "Oh yeah, my parents knew them well after the war. Met them regularly." So myself, like pretty much everyone else, was told that Hitler killed himself in the bunker in 1945, along with Eva Braun. His body was covered in petrol, then set fire. Um, 
how do we come to know that story as the truth? Uh, three words, Hugh Trevor Roper, um, the guy who wrote The Last Days of Donald Hitler. Um, Trevor Roper was an Oxford academic who'd worked in military intelligence in World War II, um, spoke fluent German, so he was basically translating German cables. And the British government decided that this man, who'd written a biography, I think, of Archbishop Cranmer, whoever he was, um, would be the best man to investigate the death of Adolf Hitler. So he wrote this quite short polemic about how bad the Nazis were and how um, he interviewed a few people and came to the conclusion that Hitler had actually killed himself in the bunker along with his um, wife by then, um, but lover, Ava Brown. And um, everybody since then has believed that story, except when you talk or read the, um, the people who Trevor Roper said he interviewed, Hannah Reich, famous female pilot, Hitler's favorite female pilot. Hannah Reich said she had never met the man. Trevor Roper had taken her statements from the Americans. She was in American custody and they wouldn't let her, wouldn't let him interview her. Um, Hitler's naval adjutant said that every time he read the Trevor Roper book or was asked about it, he just burst out laughing because he'd never said any of those things. So Trevor Roper made it up for some reason. I think that he made it up so that um, the war had come to a final conclusion. That was the end. People wanted to forget it. People wanted to believe Adolf Hitler was dead, you know. I mean, people wanted it all to be over. Um, but it wasn't. It really wasn't. And how far into researching it did you... How far in were you when you thought, actually, this is fact and not a silly documentary? How much evidence did you uncover before that? About six months into researching it, and I'd really, I had gone down the rabbit hole you know, a very long way. Right. And had dismissed a huge amount of material, you know, Nazi bases in Antarctica, Nazi flying saucers, Nazis on the moon. I mean, the amount of disinformation and misinformation out there is huge, just huge. People making it up in their back bedrooms. Um, so about three or four months into it, I had lunch with a good friend of mine, Simon Dunstan, who's the co-author of Grey Wolf, The, um, the Escape of Adolf Hitler. Simon's a historian and, um, has written, I don't know, something like 50 books on World War II. He's the world's leading expert on the fighting armoured vehicle for some reason, but he loves tanks. And, um, I was having lunch with him and I talked to him about it, and he just said, no, you're completely mad. You're completely barking mad. And I said, just have a look at the stuff I've got. And I handed him over a file full of, you know, the most relevant information. I said, I'll send you more. And um, about a month later, we arranged to have lunch again. He said, we can not not write this book. Because at that stage, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm a former foreign duty editor at the BBC, former foreign duty editor at, at Sky News, former duty editor at Reuters Television. Um, you know, for 30 years plus, all I did was hard news. Um, you know, lived in Australia, lived in, lived in Kenya. I just, I, I, I had got very angry with the story because I could not believe that there was so much information out there that Adolf Hitler, and much more importantly, Martin Bormann, and Gestapo Muller, the head of the SS police, and Gestapo, had all escaped the bunker and had all made it to Argentina. And when you started um, sort of being a bit more open about the fact that you thought that this evidence mounted to, you know, what turned into your book, how did your colleagues 
view this? Did they sort of think that you were embracing a conspiracy theory? Um, I, I spoke to a few good friends in, in TV news about it. Um, and the basic reaction was, oh, God, Jared, why are you doing this? And I yeah. said, because, you know, it, because it's real. I mean, I, I don't, could not believe what I discovered. And you know, the, the ones I have um, had serious professional time for went, oh, come on, don't be a nutter. Don't go, to, don't go the David Icke route. And I said, I'm not going the David Icke route. Wait and read the book. Mm. And all of them did read the book. And they all went, that was interesting. <clears throat> you know, it's, I can't remember how many, I think there are 83 pages of notes in Grey Wolf. Um, it was edited by an incredibly brilliant editor in New York, Sterling Publishing, Barbara Berger. Barbara went at me on every single point that we made. Right. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an agency-trained journalist. I mean, I don't take sides. I never have. You know, I don't run a, a party or political line or anything like that. To me, it's who, why, what, where and when. And that's what I've always done. So at what point does – because the, there are obviously still people that would call this a conspiracy theory, even in the face of all of the evidence and everything that's been uncovered – when does a conspiracy theory stop becoming a conspiracy theory and become accepted fact? And who is the gatekeeper of that? Because that seems to be something that's lost. Yeah, I mean, the title of the book is, you know, Adolf Hitler, uh, Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler, the case presented. So that's what we do in, in that book. We present the case as thoroughly as we possibly could that Adolf Hitler had escaped. Now... When the book was published, I think the Daily Mail ran a story on it, and they got Guy Walters, who acts as a historian, wrote a rather tepid book called Hunting Evil, um, in which he pretty much took aim at Simon Wiesenthal about Nazi war criminals. Um, Guy Walters was quoted in the mail as saying, this is 2,000% wrong. Complete rubbish, you know, total bunkum. They're just doing it for the money. Um, it's just, you know, rubbish, complete rubbish. Um, three days later, Walters contacted my editor in um, America and asked for a copy of the book because he hadn't read it. Ah, huh, right. He just dismissed it completely out of hand. Um, you know, it, historians, I think, and I'm, I'm not using this to aim at Simon, my good friend, historians are really lazy. You know, if it's been peer-reviewed and, you know, it, it comes from the Professor Emeritus at Oxford University or, you know, some Professor Emeritus at some other university, um, it's got to be true. It's got to be right. Well, they're wrong. I mean, that's all I can say, you know, prove me wrong. I also read that you'd had some death threats. Is that...? Not me. My witnesses have had death threats. I had um, two eyewitnesses to Hitler's presence in Argentina, um, both threatened with death. One said um, she was a lady who lived up on the um, Marchiquita, the little inland sea in, in um, Argentina, who'd met Hitler a number of times after the war in the company of a family called the Eichhorns, who had a property there and a property at La Fauda. Um, and she said that he signed copies of Mein Kampf for her, and she had pictures. Um, that didn't go much further when she got a phone call from somebody just saying, 
the Gestapo is still active and you must not talk to these people anymore. So there's, there's active suppression of witnesses who are still alive, but... Oh, yeah, I mean, we, we got the, um, we got the um, Argentine federal um, police involved in the other case, which was Captain Monasterio, who had written a book based on, um, based on interviews with a guy called um, Berta, um, who had been Adolf Hitler's sort of um, servant at the after the war, and also the writings of Dr. Otto Lehmann, who was Hitler's personal uh, physician post-war. And Captain Monasterio was rung up in the middle of the night and told that his children would be killed and his house would be burned down. And we took that to the police, and it, they didn't get very far in their um, didn't get very far in their investigations, but they took it extremely seriously. So is there, is it fair to say that this story is only um, considered uh, a conspiracy because the, the mainstream has accepted the alternative view and trying to turn that view around is, it's, you know, it's almost impossible for one man, one book, one film. How would, how would one start to change that view? It, it would be, it has been extremely difficult. Um, and I, to be perfectly honest, I don't care. Right. I, mean, I really don't care. I know what I know. I know what I've uncovered, published most of it, and there's a great deal more to be published, um, hopefully coming up shortly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy. Ah, okay. Interesting the thing this is a conspiracy by the major powers especially the americans to keep the real things going on after world war ii completely secret um it's also a very clever thing done by the nazis themselves under martin Bormann, who did not die in berlin um you know the, the germans said the west german government said oh we found his body we dna tested it and this is definitely Martin Bormann. We've checked it against an 83-year-old relative of Bormann's, and the DNA matches. Well, his children had never heard of this 83-year-old relative. The West German government refused to name her, and then they crushed the bones and threw them in the North Sea. So that's not proof. When his children had actually offered DNA samples to the West German government so that they could conclusively finally know what happened to their father, the West Germans went, no, no, we've got the 83-year-old relative, she'll do. Complete nonsense. So where does this story end up? Do we, do we suspect that at some point we'll uncover the children or the grandchildren of Hitler? Or I don't know. I don't chase children. It's not their fault that their father was the person that he was. Um, although they probably have access to huge amounts of money, and so they'll never be found. You know, they, they live however they want to live. Um, the Nazis got away with country buying amounts of money and the senior Nazis have lived extremely well off the back of it. They, you know, people like Martin Bormann and Gustavo Müller hid in plain sight in German communities in Argentina and Paraguay and Brazil. Um, there was, Mossad weren't after them. You know, we weren't after them. Um, America was too worried about the, you know, the reds under the beds and the Israelis had enough on their plate with every single country around them wanting to destroy them. So, you know, there was no major hunt for Nazi war criminals at the end of World War II. Most of them were working for the blasted CIA anyway. 
you know, the whole right. Galen organization in Germany, the, the, the sort of um, beginnings of West German and now German intelligence, the BND, were all Gestapo and Wehrmacht officers under a general who had led intelligence gathering on the Eastern Front for Hitler, um, who reported to Martin Gorman after the war. The Galen organization, part funded by the CIA, well, mainly funded by the CIA, sole role in life was to keep the Americans busy by lying to them about the Soviet threat. And while they did that, the Nazis got on with their business. Martin Bormann dropped the Hugo Boss uniforms, put on Hugo Boss suits, and ran it as a major corporation. Lots of arms smuggling, lots of counterfeiting operations in Paraguay, producing dollars and pounds. Um, huge amounts of money in, in Switzerland, um, in Argentina, in Syria, um, and in Turkey. Um, openly walking the streets of Dublin, believe it or not. I mean, you know, there's this, there's this sort of weird access of Madrid, Dublin, and Buenos Aires. And then you throw in Asuncion in Paraguay. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it, it's shocking. <laughs> really is shocking. I mean, it's, it, it sounds like the story of Hitler dying in the bunker almost suited everyone. Is, is that why it's so difficult to break through anything else? That's, yeah, that's my feeling. Um, and was there a point in your investigations where you thought that at any point? Did you ever think this is just not worth it? <laughs> lots of times, lots of times. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, a bit longer maybe. Um, I've been to Argentina 18 times. Um, you know, I've been to Paraguay, Brazil, Uruguay, Chile on numerous occasions. Um, it's been fascinating, but in part, it's obsession. I've never, I've never had a story do this to me before. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, the kind of a effect on you, because I've seen you interviewed a few times and you genuinely seem emotional and angry about, you know, the, 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 what you would regard as the deception that's been pulled. Would, would that be fair? Um, I, I still am angry. I think anger is what continues to drive me over this. Every time I come across a, an American document or a, um, you can't get across British documents, they hide everything for another 50 years. They just stamp it top secret again. I mean, I've just been looking at a, um, a story about Rudolf Hess's flight here in 1941. All the files are still stamped top secret. It's 80 years later. What are they hiding? Yeah, and you can't get any of the interesting material that they have on Hitler. Um, or Martin Bormann, um, they released some files on Martin Bormann, but what they did, they released all these files of, you know, Bormann spotted in Australia, Bormann spotted here, Bormann's in Malaysia. Yeah, I mean, apart from the fact the CIA have, and the FBI have reports naming Martin Bormann in Argentina, in Paraguay, throughout, up until, what's the last one I got hold of recently, 1974, um, the CIA are talking about Bormann in Switzerland negotiating to get more of his money out. Um, there's material from Paraguay which says that Bormann died of stomach cancer in 1959. Well, General Wolf, who was an SS general who was still alive in the 80s, um, tells a, a German author that, yeah, Martin Bormann's still alive. He's not dead. Um, he runs an operation called Maribor Sol, which is Martin Bormann South. 
Um, and this particular German author has interviewed numerous SS and um, general staff, all of whom lead him to Martin Bormann being alive in Argentina um, and in Paraguay. They move around, but, but they move around into you know, larger estancias or very plush houses. I was going to say, when you know, watching uh, your film and some of the hunting Hitler thing, for me, a lot, a lot of the stuff around Bormann in many ways was almost more interesting than the information about Hitler. Is there a bit of you that thinks that? Hitler's the cherry on the cake. But I think Bormann realises um, that there's no way that the swastika, the jackboots, the black uniforms, the um, genocidal anti-Semitism can come back. It's never going to work. It's been stamped out of existence by the Soviets and the Allies, um, and that can never come back. But what they still have is basically political control in a defeated Germany. The Gauleiters, the local Nazi mayors, effectively, all reported to Bormann during the war. Um, he was known as the Telex General because you know, he just messaged everybody um, in a world before social media. Um, there's a very intricate and um, effective radio transmission um, operation out of um, Argentina via Spain into Germany. Um, there's a magazine called The Vague, The Way, which is published in Argentina, which is full of coded messages back to German Nazi supporters. Um, there's even a report from German police in 1954, I think it's 54, of them finding a whole bunch of LP records of Hitler speeches and their brand new speeches. But I think Bormann, Bormann realizes that Hitler is just a problem, right? So he's kept quiet, he's kept out of the way, he's virtually in exile, in exile. And Bormann gets on with the, well, Gestapo Miller runs from Cordoba, um, he runs the security side of things. Um, um, Otto Skorzeny out of Spain runs the international side of things. Um, and Bormann just carries on, you know, with, with people like Siemens and um, the larger companies. I mean, uh, Siemens International Organization didn't disappear after the war. And the British described Siemens International Organization as the overseas SS during the war. So, I mean, these things are still there. Um, Sorry, Peter, it does annoy me. I mean, you know, they go, oh, what about denazification? Denazification is complete tosh. Well, I, I, was, I was wondering that. I, I guess that was something behind my question. In a way, the focus on Hitler, do you think it kind of distracts from this other bigger story that's out there in some way? Or you, you described it as the cherry on the cake, but can it be a distraction as well? It's the, head, it's the headline. Um, headlines aren't always um, the complete story. Um, but trying to tell the complete... I've never come across something so complicated in all my life. The number of times I've wished these people were space aliens or lizards or the Illuminati, none of which, as far as I'm concerned, I've found any evidence of whatsoever. Bilderberg's a bit dodgy. That's a bit dubious. Um, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, you know, devout Nazi. Um, spent a lot of time in Argentina. Um, the, the other thing I, I got from when I was watching um, Hunting Hitler was there was the part when you were in Spain 
And I kind of sensed in you that you were actually quite shocked at what you found of Nazi involvement in Spain. I, I know that wasn't the focus of the, that investigation, but it looked like there was more that you wanted to tell about that or that you were surprised at what you found. I was very surprised about some of the things I found in Hunting Hitler and some completely unsurprised because I'd been there before. Right. And, you know, it was television. I mean, the amount of time wasted on it being telly and not a serious investigation annoyed the hell out of me. But it got me to places and paid me to go to places that I hadn't been before um, and added to my knowledge base. So, yeah. you know, but... It's telly. We were on the lake in Bariloche with um, a local lawyer who I've met before in my trips there. And we were um, going to the Saracen Tower and then I think by boat to, um, you know, he'd probably down towards Inalco, uh, the house where Hitler lived for a while. And um, this guy handed me a book and I said, oh, yeah, I know the book. And it was the um, Argentine printed version of Stuka Pilot, which was the um, autobiography of um, Hans Ulrich Rudel, the most decorated um, pilot of World War II. Um, and in the, this copy of the book in Argentina was signed to my dear comrade, best wishes, Hans Ulrich. And I said, oh, I've not seen a signed copy before. Um, and I know from Ulrich's papers and you know, history tells us he spent a lot of time in Argentina, was a close friend of um, Perón's, and, you know, be very involved in the, in the attempts to get the Nazi party reborn in Germany in the 50s. Um, and he then handed me a small, um, like, velvet pouch. And this velvet pouch had an iron cross in it. And I looked at it, and I've seen hundreds of iron crosses all across Argentina. You can go into any junk shop and buy them. Some of them are fake, some of them are real. Most of them are World War II. But this wasn't a World War II iron cross. It was a World War I iron cross. And I said, it's a World War I Iron Cross. He said, yeah. I said, where did you get these things? He said, from one of my clients, who I won't tell you who it is, and um, you know, because it's client um, confidentiality. And I said, so what's with the Iron Cross first class? He said, my client says her father was given it by Adolf Hitler here after the war for services rendered. Now, Adolf Hitler only ever wore two decorations, when he, he was awarded in World War I, Iron Cross First Class, which this was, and the Iron Cross Second Class. And he only ever wore two decorations, his Iron Cross and his Gold Party Badge. Well, he gave his Gold Party Badge to Magda Goebbels um, to thank her for her, her, her services, including fathering a child with him. And he kept the Iron Cross. But <laughs> So I'm sitting in Bariloche, Nazi Central in Argentina, holding a First World War Iron Cross, owned by the daughter of a senior SS officer who said he'd been given it by Adolf Hitler for services rendered after the war. Could I get them to put it in the programme? And why, why do you think that was, that they didn't want to put that in? They didn't have time. They had other things planned. Well, towards the end of Grey Wolf, there's this kind of... Hitler is portrayed as this... I don't know how to describe it, but... <laughs> I keep thinking it was like an evil Sunset Boulevard figure. Do you know what I mean? It kind of in decline. And 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 it, and it made me wonder if what you believe is the true story had come out at the time of him not dying in the bunker and going to Argentina, if that was accepted at the time, 
do you how do you think the world would have been different or do you think it would have made no difference or is that, no that's a tough question it's not really my role to speculate on things um you know i, I do do my who why what where and when and um, there are there are distinct reasons why the military industrial complex in america wanted the nazis to stay in power i mean in in hiding i mean the next book is called the Secret Reich, you know, so um, or the Shadow Reich, rather. Um, so, you know, that's why they released all the industrialists um, early. That's why they released all the general staff early. That's why the CIA hired Otto Skorzeny, um, the guy, the Butcher of Lyon, um, Klaus Barbie, and the whole of the West, the whole of the German intelligence organization, the, all of it. So, you know, Truman said it was in the law that you could not hire a member of the Nazi party to work for Americans. So they just changed all their files, right. including Werner von Braun, you know, who put NASA on the moon. Um, Werner von Braun was responsible for at least 30,000 deaths in um, slave labor industrial uh, areas. And I think, you know, in Holland and, and London, something like 4,000 deaths by V2 and V1. Well, you know, Nazi. Alan Dulles, one of the biggest criminals in, in my mind in the world who headed up CIA after the war. Um, when, he, when he was asked about um, the Nazis working for him, it's either Galen or Von Brown, he said, well, you wouldn't want them in your club, but at least they're our Nazis. Real politic, I suppose. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask... what. When you talk about um, the the Nazis sort of turning into, well, almost like a a, a, a commercial entity um, afterwards, do they do they still? Although you say that you know they've got rid of the jackboots and they've got rid of the um, anti-Semitism and stuff, but do, are these still values that they hold? Are they still? I'm, I'm, I'm- Either, I think Simon described them as the biggest criminal gang in history. All right, think of them as a mafia family, um, and their their kids. You know, I'm, I'm 62. I feel about 90 lately. Um, my dad was a World War II combat soldier. You know, so um, now, and he, he in his 20s then. So senior Nazis are people now who are who are the children of people my age. They began to run the corporation. Um, but yeah, it's a multinational corporation with fingers everywhere. Um, but they don't act like Nazis. They just do it for the money. I mean, that, that's all the reason I can find now is they do it for the money. You know, up until the 70s, the infiltration of West German politics, the judiciary, banking, um, industries was immensely influenced by the Nazis, immensely influenced. Now Germany is a upstanding democratic country which i wouldn't mind living in you know yeah yeah um, more than this one um <laughs> I thought I'd, never thought i'd find myself saying that but you know i'd rather have angela merkel as my leader than um bojo the clown do you does all of this all of your investigation everything that you uncovered does it make you worry more about the rise of far-right politics around the world now there was a time when it worried me. Um, yeah, it did worry me, but it's basically the modern Shadow Reich, which 
I'm only taking the next book up to 1974. I'm, I'm not going any further. But the rise of the right, so you have, you know, um, Poland and Czechoslovakia, amazing, the, you know, the Czechs and the Poles going right wing and giving Hitler salutes. I mean, it just amazes me. But the, the real power, the real money, the corporate Nazis now, they wouldn't want any of this to happen. It would just mess with them. You know, they don't want people remembering how bad it was because they've been working undercover for, well, God, 75 years. Yeah. Um, and making lots and lots of money out of it. But you mention like living in um, Germany. One of the things that concerned me is like not a rise of necessarily exactly Nazi ideals, but for example, the AFD. Uh, which hovers around the polls somewhere around 11%. That, to me, is terrifying. It is terrifying, but the same is true in France, you know, where I lived for seven years. Um, and we don't have that here in the same way. You know, we don't have the British National Party of any, um, any importance here. We, well, but our politics has got much more right-wing. Mm. You know, the... the, the um, People like Nigel Farage and um, uh, Rhys Mogg and people like that. To me, that you know, they're just fascists in in sheep's clothing. But yeah, the AfD is worrying in Germany. But and you know, there's been penetration of the German military and the German police force and things like that by the far right. But I don't think that anybody with any power or authority will ever let them come to power again because it messes things up money is money is the thing that prevents it is that yeah. right okay you know just just how um strong the belief system was you know with the nazis otto Skorzeny, hitler's favorite commando the man who rescued mussolini um the man who was ordered to um set up the uh, werewolf organization at the end of the war to act as a um insurrection against occupying troops which Borman set up and then stopped because he uses a card and said, look, we can, we will not have any insurrection in Germany, but you're going to have to do things my way. Um, and by the way, I'd like to keep my 20,000 man SS standing army in uh, reserve, please. And they did. Or with their own officers and generals and arms caches. They just never came to the front. Um, but Skorzeny, who was, you know, the ultimate Nazi scar on his face, you know, strutting around in his jackboots, colonel in the SS, worked for, worked for Mossad after the war and the CIA. So a, a hand for hire rather than... Yeah, I mean, you know, just the principles out the window. I'm a mercenary, except right. he wasn't yeah, a mercenary. Yeah. He was doing effective things for um, the Borman organisation. Something that you mentioned... Um, a little while back, but we spoke about something else for a bit, but you spoke about how um, it was useful that the CIA were being fed dud information about Soviet Russia. It it was useful to the CIA. It was useful to the CIA, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you have um, Eisenhower talking about the threat of the military-industrial complex as he leaves office, and then you have Kennedy threatening to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces... Um, just before he's uh, murdered. Um, interestingly enough, Scorzeni had drawn up a plan for Kennedy's assassination on the CIA's request. The documents are in America at the moment, and I can't get hold of them because of this damn pandemic. But I have access to 
all of Scorzeni's personal files, over 4,000 pages, um, which blows the lid on numerous things in history, uh, which we've been told and we've been we've just come to accept. But, yeah, I mean, it, basically, after the war, it just came down to money. Obviously, um, you'll have seen, I know that UFOs aren't um, in your wheelhouse, as Americans would say, but there's been a lot of reporting recently about... Uh, the video out of the Pentagon of these Tic Tacs. Yes. Well, that's just, that's what I wanted to ask you about, because even today, mainstream journalists will only give half an eye to these things, even if it's coming out of the Pentagon, even if people with credibility are saying that I saw this, saw this like the, the fighter pilot who videoed that one um, off the SS Nimitz. Is that part of the is is there not not necessarily a conspiracy but is the mainstream press um held back by beliefs that it's always had and therefore to say oh well look it looks like we might have visitors from another world you just can't say that for whatever reason i think it, it's um it, it's really funny you know people will accept the fact the fact i use inverted commas there that Jesus Christ was a person who walked the earth and the son of God and did miracles and loaves and fishes and all that, completely accepted by a huge number of people. Um, you suggest that there are some unidentified aircraft flying around our skies and we have no idea where they're from or who is piloting them. And people go, are oh, you bloody idiot? What a fool. What little green men in the garden? You know, the, the, the Roswell autopsy was a hoax. You know, of course it was a hoax. I mean, that's the problem is, is, you know, I suppose until we have one that crashes in the middle of Trafalgar Square and is seen by thousands of witnesses, we're never going to, well, never, we're not going to know. But, you know, I, I don't think that the flying saucers thing is a conspiracy and I, don't, I, I just don't think that... I don't know. I mean, I, I don't believe in extraterrestrial visitors necessarily. I don't disbelieve in it because there's just a huge amount of evidence from serious sources like the Pentagon and the RAF. But why people don't take that seriously, I don't know. I mean, you know, people, people are weird. I mean, I've noticed that a lot over the last five or six years. Um, People's belief systems are really strange. You know, everybody, yes. thinks, everybody thinks that, or not everybody thinks, but a lot of, you know, podcasts and radio hosts and things like this in America um, will have me on their shows and they'll ask me, so what about 9-11? What about the Kennedy assassination? Name any conspiracy theory you like. What about the bases in Antarctica? And I say to them, I haven't spent 15 years looking at the Kennedy assassination. I mean, there is so much dis and misinformation about that that I don't think, you know, we'll ever get to the, the truth of who did it mm. um, and why they did it. You know, there's so many different angles in it, and it, 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 it is quite deliberate. Do you think your work post, uh, looking at what happened post the war, do you think that will ever be admitted to that the truth that you believe you found will become mainstream or do you think it will never never be that all i can do peter is show my sources you know show the documents um show the material that i've gathered um you know some of it from 
add the reporters, contemporaneous reporting, I think is always worth going back and looking at very thoroughly, um, which is something historians don't do. Um, you know, we go back to Trevor Roper. You know, he thought the Hitler diaries were real and then changed his mind. You know, the Hitler diaries are written in biro and they have entries like, woke up, shagged Ava, invaded Russia. You know, at the, and yet this, this was just going to be reality. The Sunday Times, Murdoch had paid a fortune for them. And then, you know, they published them anyway. And then they came out with the fact that it was a hoax. And not that clever a hoax either when you look back at it. I mean, I just had a bunch of documents sent to me from Austria, um, one of which is a, a signed letter by, from Adolf Hitler talking about his escape by U-boat, and the letter is from the Nazi Party headquarters in Argentina. And I got that, and I thought, bloody hell, that's it. Smoking gun, nailed it. Um, had the Hitler signature checked? Yes, it is probably real. And then I looked more thoroughly at the headed note paper, and it came from an Austrian Nazi youth organization, which had closed down in 45. And so the signature may be real or a really good fake, but it's on paper that would not have been in Buenos Aires in 1954. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thorough. I really am thorough. Well, I was going to, again, that was what I was going to ask you about, you know, the ease of information on the internet and anyone can almost set themselves up as a journalist and an expert, you know, you doing all this research and digging, that must be incredibly frustrating for you, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, there are a couple of um, four or five Argentine and Uruguayan um, guys who um, are on my Facebook page who are really good investigators. I mean, really good. Um, the material they've been exposing on Bormann's existence post-war and um, um, Ava's uh, brother-in-law, Fagelein's existence post-war as well. It's quite amazing. And then somebody published um, what looked like a Secretary of State, United States Secretary of State letter, um, which said that Adolf Hitler had been buried in um, a cemetery in Madrid, along with a bunch of other Nazis who died in the Spanish Civil War. Um, and it looked perfect, right? Every single stamp was perfect. The signature was the right guy. Um, you know, the the uh, declassified notes were right. The, the the circle, the people it was being sent to, including Richard M. Nixon, president, um, all was right. But the, the English was a bit weird. The language was a bit weird. And one of my contacts from the Uruguayan group um, sent me a, a piece of paper. And it was the exact same piece of paper, but the writing in the middle was different. Every other mark on the paper was was the same, you know, signatures from people who read it. And... So it's, it sounds like getting to the truth again with technology and everything going along, it's gonna, it gets harder and harder, right? Uh, we had um, what are described as the last pictures of Adolf Hitler, shaking hands with a bunch of tank-busting Hitler Youth, um, along with Artur Axman, the leader of the Hitler Youth, in Berlin in 1945. We had those pictures checked in the, by a, 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 you know, an expert at the University College London in, um, in facial construction. And it's not Hitler, right? Those last pictures of Hitler are not Hitler. Every book you will read says that these pictures are of Hitler on April the 21st, his birthday. Um, and these are the last known moving pictures and still pictures of Adolf Hitler. 
Well, they were shot on March the 21st. They came out in the April edition of the um, Hitler Youth magazine, the final edition, April 1945. They came out in the April edition, but they were shot in March. But nobody ever corrects us. And not only were they shot in March, it's not Hitler. It's one of his many doubles. I mean, but, you know, it, it took a great deal of time. And, you know, I, I haven't got the money to do half the stuff I'd like to do. I mean, a tenth of the stuff I'd like to do. I was wondering the way that a lot of journalists and the journalistic community have treated you, whether your pursuit of the truth has left you, I don't know what the word is, with a bit of taste about journalism in any way. Not at all. Um, you know, it, it only ever it only ever annoys me when people go, oh, this is a complete load of bollocks, if they haven't read the book. Yeah. You know, do me the courtesy of reading the book and then tell me now I'm wrong. Yeah. Do me the courtesy of looking through the 83 pages of notes and then tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I've made all this up. You know, anybody who wants to say it's complete rubbish, you know, and you say, have you read the book? And they go, oh, no, wouldn't read the book. I go, well, how the hell do you know it's real rubbish? And I've not had one single journalist mate, and I've not had one single mate come to me and say, you're, you're complete full of rubbish. Um, yeah, they'd use other words, but I don't know what your audience is like. Yeah, no, this, I don't know we to describe what I do now as journalism. Um, it's investigative. It's obsessional. Um, but I can't knock it off in a minute 10 with a piece to camera because the story is too complicated. I mean, I've been amassing information on, on the, the new book to try and get it over in a, in a sort of accessible way. It's extremely difficult. I mean, that's why hunting Hitler was so successful because it was very accessible. You know, it was exciting TV in some places, you know, Captain America, Tim, my friend, is you know great telly. Well, I, 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 well, I was going to ask you about that because you know, and, and again, you may not want to say about it. We've talked about certainly the American style documentaries. I don't know the best way of describing it is sometimes they're almost put out as a as a court case rather than necessarily overly looking at both sides do you think there was a touch of that with hunting hitler or american documentaries was that frustrating for you or do you not think that um yeah i wasn't involved in the editorial of hunting hitler at all um i turned up on site in latin america or germany or spain and did my bits you know talking about stuff that i knew of but i had nothing to do with the packaging or, or presentation of it you know i've never even spoken to bob there i've never even spoken to bob um, and, you know, people think it's a team. You know, we used to, like, on the ground, Tim and, and the others, you know, we call ourselves Charlie's Angel, and we'd be the angels. But, um, you know, it, it, it served a lot of purposes. Um, yeah. And, you know, it closed down a number of avenues which I wouldn't have had a chance to close down otherwise and opened up others. So I'm not going to knock it. You know, I've been to Argentina 12 times before I started hunting Hitler. I've been there 18 times now. Um, and yeah, it's it's fascinating. I would have spent more time in Paraguay, but it's such a it's not a nice place. I must say, I did enjoy the 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 most accessible bits were uh, ju- just to remind myself of uh, some of the things that you did. I had another watch this morning of um, you you go to that hotel to find the ballroom 
where you believe Hitler watched uh, an opera? I don't believe it, Ben. It, it's, a, it's a report from the CIA um, of a ballet performance taking place in this, in this place in Brazil on the world's longest beach, um, Casino, the, the town is called. And um, it's just as the man describes it. But it, 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 it was so, such an accessible piece of television that made you sort of go, well, the evidence is real. Because it's, it's one thing to tell the audience, it's another to show them. And I just love that scene. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, some of the uh, directors on the show on the ground were brilliant. I mean, just great people to work with. You know, I've, I've worked in telly for, well, 40 years now, longer than 43 years. Okay. Um, but, you know, there are some people in, in the industry who, who just have great visual sense. Um, and my favourite is... Um, B.J. Golnick, uh, who's just stunning on two series and, you know, can see things that I wouldn't see and knows how well they'll translate. At the, you know, running two GoPros, two cameras on the ground and a flaming drone. I mean, I can't do five-dimensional chess. But put me in a camera, in front of a camera and ask me to talk detailed facts about Nazis, I'm probably your boy. What you were saying there, Peter, about American-style documentaries, I think... The way that I could get my mother to engage with the story, and I'm using my mother as sort of like uh, the man on the Clapham omnibus because, um, you know, she's she, she's the person who is most sceptical about everything that <laughs> I'm interested in. I've never seen your mother as the man on the Clapham omnibus, but I would ca- <laughs> go with it, go with it. Well, my, my mother, bless her soul, was still alive when I started doing this, and she just looked at me and went... <sighs> yeah, yeah. But if your evidence was presented on Panorama, she would probably watch it and take note. Similarly, the person that I was comparing your work to in the UFO field, a chap called Timothy Good, he's as as, uh, obsessed with facts as you are. And all of his books have loads and loads of notes in. And I said to him once, would you ever would they ever cover this on panorama and he laughed he said no of course not they never touched this but why is that why is it difficult to for, for mainstream to accept these ideas what is it then peter stefanovich at the moment who's all over social media i think 30 million people have seen his video about the lies that boris johnson tells peter stefanovich they won't even report on it on the bbc news you know, it, it was punched on um, a huge uh, pre- presentation screen on the side of the Houses of Parliament. A good story. TVNZ in New Zealand ran the story. Nothing on BBC News. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't understand. I mean, I, I, I worked freelance as a foreign duty editor at the BBC a long time, and you know, I never saw any sort of political involvement or in a story, but I was in foreign news, so they didn't really care. Um, And at Sky News, where I worked very closely with the home desk and the foreign desk, um, I never saw any sign of any Murdoch interference or Murdoch approach to to covering the news. I mean, when I was there, Nick Pollard was running it, and ex-Daily Mail, Nick's one of the best journalists of his generation. You know, I think think they'd be short shrift given to anybody who told Nick Pollard what and wasn't a story. 
So I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to do a serious series of documentaries based on Grey Wolf and the material that I have um, from my more recent um, research. I think it would be fascinating. I think the story could be told well. It's detailed, and people aren't great on detail. Um, audiences aren't great on detail. But it's it's distinctly thrilling. The best um, espionage story of the century, the last century, uh, the one I lived mostly in. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'd love to do it with a, with a serious British team. But whether or not anybody would watch it, I don't know. There's a great example of, from Hunting Hitler. I'd been to Analco, the house, on the lake twice before. And to get in there, I gave the guy on guard duty um, $20 and a pack of Haribo for his kids. And both times. I, I was told that when we went there to shoot for Hunting Hitler, that he had a rifle and that he was going to shoot anybody who came up to the gates. So Tim assaulted the place in a wetsuit from the lake. <laughs> You know, now three weeks later, there's an American crew there filming quite happily all over in Alco inside and everything else. And the local Argentine crew are there. And, you know, it, it's just, but it was really exciting to watch Tim in a, in a crappy wetsuit assault the house. He likes showing off those muscles, doesn't he? We didn't like each other when we first met um, until we we started to talk and we, we became very good friends. I'm extremely fond of Tim. don't always agree with him on many things, but I am extremely fond of him. And um, so I called him Captain America, you know. I'd call him Cap from, the, from like, the third day because he was Captain America, basically. He's one of America's super soldiers. We were at a hotel in Lafayette and they were selling Captain America shields. So I bought him one. You know, he thought it was funny. And he was an easy guy to work with. I mean, he knew, you know, he knew after a while that I'd, I'd seen my share of the world's shitholes. And although I've never been a soldier or I ever wanted to be, I have been in combat. Um, I never want to be again. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we got on. It, it, you know, there is a phrase from the American Civil War um, about you could tell if somebody had seen the elephant um, because you could see it in their eyes. And it is true. You know, you can, you can tell if somebody is um, making it up or if they've actually been in periods of intense stress. If people want to find out more about what we've been speaking about, is what's, where should they go? The, obviously, the, your book is available on Amazon and all good retailers. Yes, um, they can also probably get an e-copy from me if they find me on Facebook and uh, for a small donation to my, um, my ongoing research. Um, I'll happily send them an ebook. Um, um, yeah, find me on Facebook. I mean, I will come back to people. I will chat to people um, if I have and when I have time. Um, there's a, a group called the Spider's Web on Facebook, which has loads of really interesting information, some of it from me, some of it from my South American research friends, um, and from others, a, a very good author, Peter David Orr in America, um, who, although we disagree on how Hitler got out of Germany. Peter has an interview with an American soldier who describes something completely different to Baumgart. But there are a lot of Hitler doubles moving around Germany at the time, so I don't know. But Peter's extremely thorough on the suicide and how there is no um, evidence at all. He's far more thorough than even we are in Grey Wolf. Um, And you can find Peter David Orr on Facebook as well. 
But um, yeah, then they can find me on Facebook, and I do um, I do get involved. I do come back to people, and if there's somebody out there who wants to finance my research, I'll come back to them extremely quickly. It sounds like you're working on another book. You were saying as well. Yeah, and the Shadow Reich. What it will do is it will deal with um, the whole Bormann organization and the lack of denazification in America. In where. <laughs> Sorry, the lack of denazification in, in West Germany post-war. Um, the influence that the Nazis maintained in Germany at every level post-war. How they're helped by people like Alan Dulles, um, his sister Eleanor Dulles, and John J. McCloy, um, who ran Germany for a couple of years, ran the American part of Germany for a couple of years, released all the industrialists, um, gave Krupp, Huge steel contracts to make um, hard steel for American tanks during the Korean War. <laughs> Amazing. And, um, yeah, it'll also look at the the activities of Mossad and um, Skorzeny, who's very important to this, and the international fascist conspiracy that was happening in the 50s, um, which Oswald Mosley was a major part of. And um, it also looks at the connections with Dublin, which is something I haven't found before. Um, but the yeah, it, it seems you've got Nazis walking the streets of Dublin completely and you know, not a care in the world. And that's the point. They weren't hunted. You know, I mean, that's the, we were all brought up on this, oh, there's another Nazi war criminal. He's some guard at Ravensbrook, you know, um, who is now in his 80s. There are still generals of the SS out there. And... The, since the end of the war, the West German and German governments continue to pay um, war pensions to people. If you were in the SS, your war pension is 30% higher than it is if you were in the Army, Navy, or Air Force. Why is that? Oh, don't ask me. The Nazis were defeated at the end of World War II. The SS were all disarmed. You know, Hitler was dead. Martin Bormann was dead. Gestapo Müller's dead, except Gestapo Müller's grave actually has remnants of three bodies in it. They actually exhumed it. You know, um, I don't know the answer to why um, Galen, General Galen, the head of intelligence and then the head of intelligence in West Germany post-war, why he said in his memoirs that Martin Bormann was a Soviet spy. And yet he, he wrote to the Paraguayan government and said to him that um, Bormann had died of some cancer in, in, in 1959. Um, and... The obvious reason for him doing this is to cover his boss's tracks. I mean, I now have something like, I don't know, seven, eight eyewitnesses to Borman's presence in Paraguay post-war. Um, and uh, lots more uh, you know, documents and eyewitnesses to his presence in Argentina post-war. Uh, but he's dead in Berlin. The, the Germans did his DNA testing. So th there's, there's still... Absolutely loads more to this story. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said it, it's incredibly complex. Um, it's very difficult to know what to leave out, not what, not what to put in. I must have something like 30,000 files um, you know, put together over the last 10 years, if not longer. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could talk for days. <laughs> well, I, like, I could talk about this all day, but I would definitely say to all our listeners go and read that book because it will it will change the way you think about the world i think it changed the way i thought about the world
and me. I was just shocked what was out there. And um, it's, it's very shocking. I mean, my dad, you know, former combat soldier, World War II, desert rat, fought, always fought through the desert, 39, joined up at 18, lied about his age. If my dad had read Grey Wolf, he'd have been looking for a rifle to go shoot people. The trail of the great generation is just, you know, disgusting. Uh, Gerard, thank you so much for generously giving all of your time today. Yeah, thank and we'll you. definitely it's been fascinating. talk to you again. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, me too. Yeah, nice to meet you both, guys. So, yeah, Ben, there, I think as Gerard said, there's, there is so much, isn't there? There's so much detail. There's, there's just evidence and stuff flying around all over the place. It's, it's incredible story to get your head around. Yeah, and it's more, I think, as he said, Hitler is the, the cherry. It's the evidence of everything else that's going on around it. Um, the Martin Bormann presence and connection, the fact that this seems to be a known fact by some people in uh, you know in Ar- in Argentina, I think is remarkable. And I'm so surprised. Like I always say, really surprised that not more people are talking about this. But yeah, I think it's it's man. We did touch uh, on it a little bit during the interview that you know, especially in the world of. Uh, online and social media when you know conspiracy theories can really take hold without with very little research or or evidence that there is no doubt that he has devoted a large chunk of his life on this story gathering evidence and yeah as far as I can tell he genuinely genuinely believes that that is what happens and it must be incredibly frustrating that you know, there are people out there who will question his integrity, right? You know, I don't know about the facts. It's really hard to know, isn't it, without wading through that stuff yourself. But like you said, he's got an incredible background in journalism. He has obviously researched and researched and researched this, and he's come to that conclusion. It's amazing. Yeah, no, this is not a um, a lazily come to conclusion. I think he said he's got um, more than 80, nearly 90 pages of notes in the back of that book referencing material that he's brought in to create this story. You know, I think, like, after you've heard his words, go and read that book. It is, it, it will change the way you think about what you believe happened after the war, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you've not seen the Hunting Hitler series as well, which... I think originally was on History Channel. I think it's still on Sky in the UK. I'm not sure. But, you know, check that out as well because, you know, it's a long-running... That one is a long-running series, so you do have to wade through stuff. But, you know, I've watched it and there are bits in it you go, wow, that is... that. You know, I guess a lot of what we talk about on the podcast, there are those moments when you go, whatever you think of this, that that is pretty weird and pretty strange and yeah check out it we'd love to know what you think you know have you seen the hunting hitler series have you seen gerard's uh film and have you read the book and if not read it and just let us know what you think we'd love to know what you think on the topic you know outside of oh he's crazy or whatever we a genuine as he said if somebody comes back with kind of facts and a genuine debate then he, that's that's what's interesting to him and that's certainly what's interesting to us right 
Uh, if you do want to talk to him, um, it's an open invitation from him to contact him on his Facebook page. And um, I, if if you want to hear more from the man himself, do that. Definitely, definitely. Okay, well, that yeah, there's a lot to digest with that and uh, certainly going to go and do that. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode and listening to what Gerard had to say. And uh, we will see you next time on The Quantum Mechanics. See you next time. Quantum mechanics.